Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Time to whiz through the markets. Asia-Pacific markets are starting the week off on a quiet note. Elsewhere, investors are going to be keeping a close eye on Taiwan's markets today, following the DPP's victory over the weekend in the island's presidential elections. Joining me as we break down all the market action today, Ryan Huang, good morning. Good morning, Michelle. How's your weekend? Really, really good. And yours? Uh, well, it was the same old, managing to squeeze in some rest and catching up with the family. Okay. Always good. I watched a really juvenile starting movie called No Hard Feelings. Everybody needs to watch it. Jennifer Lawrence is in it. All I'm going to say is there's a standout scene, a killing me softly scene. I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> I've been watching The Resident on Disney+. Plus. It's been hooking me yeah. into watching at least one episode every day. It's a very layered story. It's about a hospital and all the ethics that you might not have thought about that might play out in a hospital setting. So it's a very interesting perspective. That sounds good. That's next on my to-watch list. Um, No hard feelings just will make you laugh out loud, okay? And it's raunchy. Don't say I didn't warn you. Uh, We start this morning on Wall Street where one of the world's biggest financial players is branching out and making a very large bet on infrastructure. BlackRock is spending $12.5 billion to buy a company called GIP or Global Infrastructure Partners. Uh, BlackRock is an asset manager, one of the biggest on Wall Street, right? $10 trillion of assets under management. So why is BlackRock moving into infrastructure? Why is it investing in airports, bridges, tunnels, oil pipelines, Ryan? Yeah, I suppose you could say this is a bet on the next big thing or what will be fueling growth for BlackRock in the years to come. So it is trying to get a bigger slice of the action when it comes to infrastructure. And one way is to just buy up a company that is already in it. And this is where you're looking at a world that is starting to move at a faster pace into what is perhaps the new infrastructure of the future. We're talking about digital infrastructure, data centers, stuff that runs AI, logistics, e-commerce, that sort of thing. And also the new world of energy. That's also changing. And that's that's where GIP has a huge presence in. So BlackRock is looking at perhaps a bigger future in energy, transportation, and digital infrastructure. And it's splashing the cash. It's paying about $12.5 $12.5 billion to do so, and the deal is expected to close in the third quarter. BlackRock sees opportunity in the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act. In fact, remember BlackRock CEO Larry Fink noting that policymakers are incentivizing, quote, a once-in-a-generation type of infrastructure project push. The GIP acquisition, by the way, is BlackRock's biggest deal in nearly 15 years. Back in 2009, it purchased Barclays Global Investors and then became the world's biggest provider of index funds. So what do you think? Is this GIP purchase a good move by BlackRock and should retail investors be also taking a closer look at infrastructure plays? Yeah, on the surface, it does look like a very... Uh, common sense move for it to go into this space. And like you pointed out, you've got the various policies, not just in the US, but around the world, just making a bigger push for asset managers to be in a good spot in the coming years. These are the things that people will need and you can expect the assets to appreciate down the road. And if you look at what's also going to be in the mix for BlackRock, it's a good time for it to 
diversify its portfolio of available investment options for clients. So it becomes a bit of a more one-stop shop for everything an investor might need. So in that sense, it is perhaps going to capture a bigger slice of the action when it comes to um, becoming an asset manager. Where there's money, there's BlackRock. BlackRock shares are up 27% over the past three months. The company is also reporting an 8% jump in profits for the fourth quarter of the year. We're going to keep an eye out on how the stock performs going forward. In the meantime, if you're interested in taking a look at infrastructure counters, The Motley Fool has some recommendations. It likes a company called Enbridge. They operate oil and gas pipelines and have a reputation for paying good dividends. Uh, The Fool also likes infrastructure REIT called Crown. Castle International and equipment maker Caterpillar. Let's turn to corporate earnings now where banks are in my focus. JP Morgan Chase is reporting record earnings, though its earnings did dip a little during the fourth quarter of the year. The picture not quite as rosy at Citigroup or Bank of America. So let's start with JP Morgan Chase. It netted nearly 50 billion US dollars last year, including more than 9 billion in the fourth quarter. What is driving JP Morgan Chase's strong results? Yeah, let's frame it up. It was the most profitable year in US banking history for JP Morgan. And this is also the seventh straight quarter of record net interest income and is expecting another windfall to continue this year. And this is all just looking pretty good for JP Morgan. So what's really driving it is what's called the net interest income. How much it earns on loans and how much it has to pay out on deposits. That gap is wider and widening and it came in at $24.2 billion in the final three months of last year. So for the whole of 2024, they are expecting that NII or net interest income to rise to $90 billion. And that is against analysts' expectations of a 2% drop. So it is beating expectations and looking good for the year. Yeah, JP Morgan's numbers would have been even better if not for that $3 billion fee linked to the U.S. government seizure of failed regional banks last year. Remember how the regional banking crisis was shaking up the financial industry just last year? Well, JP Morgan Chase's acquisition of First Republic has turned out to be very good for the company. Are you concerned at all that JP Morgan's fourth quarter numbers were not quite as strong as growth earlier in the year? Yeah, I suppose it has to be taken into context if you look at the numbers. Uh, And like you pointed out, last year was a pretty uh, turbulent time for banks in the US. You had a few US regional banks in trouble, the likes of SVB, Signature, and a couple of other names. They were in trouble and you had a bit of a program which was basically a fund that helped build out some of these companies and tie them over. That fund is being backstopped by some of the bigger US banks, which is why you have a one-off charge that is now being expensed. And this came to the tune of $2.9 billion split across all the biggest banks. And this is something that weighed on many of their earnings report in the latest quarter. So going into this year, perhaps without that one-off a charge and also with the US banking sector in a better footing it does look like it is in a better shape at least and of mm-hmm. course JP Morgan did buy over one of the US regional banks which expands their retail base so that helps them to some extent to get a bigger market share Mm-mm. 
That's true. Let's look at Citigroup now, which lost money in the fourth quarter of the year. A lot of money. 1.8 billion US dollars. Those are the worst numbers Citigroup has posted in more than a decade. 14 years to be exact. What is behind these losses? Yeah, Citigroup really going through some tough, at least short-term challenges. And I think right at the crux of it is how Citigroup has been trying to overhaul its business, to streamline things, to restructure how things are being run. In some cases, we've seen it divest some of the assets. And with those changes, you've got restructuring costs, severance costs, for example. And it's in the news in the past week because of job cuts. It's been trying to lay off around 20,000 roles as the CEO, James Fraser, tries to revive growth at City. So that came to the cost um, of around $1 billion in expenses and severance payments. But long term, it could save as much as $2.5 billion. So it has to, well, spend now to save money later in a sense. Don't like that word severance. Citigroup retrenching 20,000 people to help stem its losses. As horrible as that may be for city employees, investors do like the sound of it. Citigroup shares finish up 1% on Friday. Let's now turn to Bank of America, which is doing better than Citigroup. Uh, that doesn't say a lot, I suppose, given city's losses. But BOA did not have still a good quarter. Its profits fell 35% in October to December in that period to about $3 billion US dollars. What is the story here? Yeah, let's take a look at the earnings per share coming in at 70 cents. It did better than the 68 cents. So it did beat expectations, but it is declining. Revenue came in under expectations, 22.1 billion at uh, versus expectations of 23.74 billion. And like you outlined, net income fell mm-hmm. by more than 50%. So you've got a pretty similar picture, the hefty one-time charge related to the build-out fund. Uh, so that weighed on Bank of America. You also have a couple of other things to consider. And this is where you've got some of the fourth quarter and full year results. They did see some strong organic growth. They also saw record client activity and digital engagement. But like many other banks, it also saw expenses creep up. So that's going to be one of the headwinds, not just for banks, but I think a lot of companies having to grapple with in the latest earnings reports. BOA shares fell 1% on Friday. If we take a step back, analysts have quite a few numbers to pass through from the US banking sector. What do you make of these earnings numbers from JP Morgan, BlackRock, Citigroup and BOA? Yeah, I mean, on the surface, it does look like they didn't have a good day. But if you look into the numbers and think about it long term, the fundamentals for the banks are there. And I suppose they have to go through some transitions with the, for example, city restructuring. Uh, But by and large, the one-off charge last year that many of these banks had to deal with won't be in the next quarter's earnings, or at least the report cards. So at least brighter days are hit on their front. Um, And I suppose the worst of the news has been priced in to some extent. So going forward, expectations could be more manageable for the banks to meet. So I think that is the takeaway here from the bank earnings so far. And of course, more to come tomorrow when we get from the likes of Morgan Stanley. Time now for Director Deals. Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? For today's entry, let's head to the US where Michael Saylor, co-founder, executive chairman of MicroStrategy. Saylor's been selling stock for the first time in a dozen years. What is likely behind Saylor's decision to cash out part of his stake? 
Yeah, it's tough because he didn't really give a reason, but you can speculate that perhaps he wants to take some profit. And let's take a look at how much he's been selling. He sold between 3,800 plus to 5,000 shares on certain days at the beginning of this year. So this is where he fetched perhaps more than $20 million based on estimates. So this is also the first time he has sold shares in nearly 12 years. Mm-hmm. Well, according to the spokesperson, the sales are part of a plan that was disclosed in the following last year. So he planned to do this. So it was not tied to the Bitcoin ETF approval, according to the spokesperson at least. So it is going to continue for every day between January 2nd this year until the 26th of April this year. So this is going to mean he is going to be continuing to offload shares in the coming days. And the plan is to eventually sell as much as $400,000, excuse me, 400,000 shares during this period. So Michael Saylor cashing out, maybe he's got his eye on a fancy new gadget. I'm not sure why. (laughs) Sailor has netted about 20 million US dollars from the recent sale. It's got to be a big gadget. And he's expected to continue selling, as you say, through April. Stick a step back. MicroStrategy share price has more than doubled over the past year, but it is now down 23% in just the past week. Time for a quick game of up or down. First up, this may seem like a repeat from last week, but here we go again. It's Microsoft versus Apple. Which company is up? Which is down? The race keeps moving. Yeah, it's like a Mario Kart race. And finally, (laughs) it's official. The race, I suppose, the first leg at least, Microsoft is in the lead. So officially, they have become number one overtaking Apple. And this was off the back of last Friday's session. And even though Apple... Gained 0.2%. Microsoft gained 1%. So if that is market cap goes to 2.887 trillion, it's highest ever for Microsoft. And that beats market cap for Apple at 2.875. But of course, lots to watch down the road when it comes to these two companies. For sure. So as of Friday's close, Microsoft has overtaken Apple to become the world's most valuable company. While the two tech giants are neck and neck, market caps around 2.9 trillion US dollars, Microsoft shares are on the way. Um, Apple down 6% over the past month. Look at that. Okay, next up, let's look at the luxury British retailer Burberry. Have you got any Burberry items in your wardrobe? Yes. Okay. So this is, um, I suppose, one of the brands facing tougher times in recent quarters. You've got people, not as many people at least, buying their stuff. And these are the trench coats, bags and scarves. And of course, these are the higher end part of the market. And they did not get snapped up during a Christmas shopping uh, season as much as they were hoping. So that had a huge impact on their fourth quarter earnings. And it is now forecasting a not-so-rosy picture for the coming quarter, which is pretty much the three months ending March. Mm-hmm. So the forecast is for profits to come in between 410 and 460 million pounds, which is below its earlier forecast of 552 to 668 million pounds. So Burberry's issued its second profits warning in the past three months. It says demand for luxury goods is slowing and it's warning of significantly lower profits for the 2023-2024 financial year. Burberry shares closed down 5.5% on Friday. They're off more than 40% over the past 12 months. Our third entry this morning are our ports here in Singapore. 
Right, looking up for Singapore ports, they are setting records at least based on the latest numbers on the 2023 shipments. So if you look at the numbers, annual vessel arrival tonnage rose to 3.1 billion gross tonnage. That's up 9.2%. So this exceeds the previous record set in 2020. And this was reflective of growth in all segments, container ships, dry bulk carriers, liquid bulk and chemical tankers, ferries, specialized vessels. So all in, on the front at least, you've got activity going on and good news for the economy. Yeah, the port business thriving. There was a record number of shipping arrivals, cargo that was handled and fuel sold to ships last year. That's definitely an up. However, the MPA, they're the Maritime Port Authority, they're warning of, quote, rough seas ahead due to geopolitical and economic uncertainty. Let's check in on markets now. What's on your radar for the week ahead? Yeah, lots to watch out for this week. And mm. we've got Davos underway. So it kicks off tonight. And a lot of interesting names and potential headlines to keep an eye out for. Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, will be rubbing shoulders, at least with some of the global leaders. And the theme for Davos is rebuilding trust. And... Rightly so, because it's been such a year for AI and more to come. And this year has been dubbed the year of elections as well. So with AI in the mix, you can imagine a lot of concerns around misinformation, deep fakes, and everything that might have to do with AI on that front. So I imagine that's going to be high on the agenda for these policymakers. How to manage AI issues. And of course, the usual stuff around trade and the economy will be in focus. Sustainability, of course. So that's one of the uh, the big events to watch for this week. Plus the data point, I think most people will be keeping an eye out for will be on Wednesday mm-hmm. when China's GDP will be released. This will give an indication of whether China did or did not meet its goal of 5% growth last year. So that could be one to steer sentiment around where China is going. All eyes on Davos and China then. At the top of the show, I mentioned Taiwan's elections. Most of the coverage has been focused on the presidential race. Lai Qingde, who has been uh, revised by Beijing, won the election. But his Democratic Progressive Party lost seats in the legislative election. So it'll have to... Compromise more, should we say, with the Kuomintang or the smaller Taiwan People's Party on policy issues. Taiwan's main stock market index is down 2% since the start of the year, though it gained more than 20% last year. So stay tuned in the days ahead. I want to look at how Taiwan stocks and the Taiwan dollar reacts. You heard it here. Our last word today belongs to AI gone awry. More like poor use of AI. It seems more and more people are using artificial intelligence to sell their products online, but they're not checking the results. So they're now products listed on Amazon, on eBay, on other e-commerce platforms, and their titles say things like, I'm sorry, I cannot fulfill this request due to open AI's use policy, or sorry, I can't generate these titles for you based on the given description. Have you seen these? I have only just seen it after you talk about it. So very curious why this is happening. And like you pointed out, where you normally will find the description of the item you're trying to buy, like for, as simple as a grey chair, it's a huge line of text. Uh, like you pointed out, a bit of a statement apologizing that the chat 
board cannot come up with the name, so to speak, because of policy issues. So it is, I suppose, reflective of how people are still struggling to integrate some of these chatbots into their systems. Yeah, or how people are really, really lazy and doing much less thinking because they think uh, they're putting all their faith in AI. There are also items listed for sale as, sorry, I can't generate a response to that request. Can't imagine sales for these items are too strong. Yeah, I'm looking at it and it is a bit of a turnoff, right? Can you trust the other parts of information that are there, like the price? Did they you know, make any mistakes on that? So you've got a lot of question marks when you're browsing this site. And I suppose it is going to be a blow for AI, at least on this front. Happened to me um somewhat similar thing. I Over the weekend, thought I bought um a Ninja in a pot. It said Ninja in a pot. I need a new in a pot. And then the title, though, when it confirmed my purchase, said you have purchased a Ninja in a hydrator stand. And what? I thought, what is that? I don't want that. I want my pot. Do you thankfully, check it out? Thankfully, the pot arrived. Okay, good news. <laughs> Money not wasted. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Mark of You. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.